Indeed, Father, there is much that we can praise the Lord for. There are great things that he has done and is doing and will do in our lives. Father, as we gather here at the worship hour, as a church family seeking your will in our lives, as always, Lord, we invite the presence of your Holy Spirit to be here with us. We pray that you'd speak to our hearts individually and that you would draw us nearer to you. We thank you, Father. Speak to us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Jeremiah chapter 33 and verse 3 is a passage that has grown to be one of great comfort to me. We've read this before in our series on prayer that we're going through right now, where Jeremiah tells us, the Lord invites us to call upon him. He says, call upon me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things that thou knowest not. Isn't that a wonderful invitation? I guess you're not too enthusiastic about it. Isn't that a wonderful invitation? God is inviting us. Call upon me, and I will answer you. It's almost like God saying, listen, I want to have a conversation with you. I want to talk with you. Let's have this out. Let's have a conversation together with one another. God is inviting us, and he says, listen, as you call upon me, as I answer you, I'm going to show you things that you've never saw before. That's exciting to me. That's something that I want to experience on a daily basis in my devotional life, in my prayer life, and in every aspect of my life, that as I call upon God, he will show me great and mighty things. This is the relationship that God wants to have with you. Now, of course, we know Satan does not like this type of relationship. In the book Steps to Christ, page 94, we're told this, the darkness of the evil one encloses those who neglect to pray. Now, I want you to think about that as you reflect upon this past week. Was the devil successful in your prayer life? The darkness of the evil one encloses those who neglect to pray. If you are neglecting to pray, Don't be surprised if the darkness of the evil one closes around you. Don't be surprised. The whispered temptations of the enemy entices them to sin. And it's all because they do not make use of the privilege that God has given them in the divine appointment of prayer. The devil does not want you to have that relationship that Jeremiah describes in Jeremiah 33 and verse 3 where God shows you great and mighty things and so he orchestrates things in your life so that we neglect the very thing that we need the most, prayer and a relationship with God. Now as negative as this statement may appear, There is a promise, and I like to do this in my personal study of the Bible and as I read in the spirit of prophecy as well. 
I like to take things and flip them around the opposite way. She says that the darkness of the evil one encloses those who neglect to pray, which also means that those who do not neglect to pray, the darkness of the evil one is banished. Amen? And the light of God and his word surrounds that individual who is not neglecting the gift of prayer. The whispered temptations of the enemy do not reach their ears because they are not neglecting this great spiritual gift that God has given to us. I want to suggest something to you that might be new. Prayer is a relationship, not a religious activity. What is your prayer life like? Is it a religious activity? Is it something that you feel obligated to do, that if you don't do it in the morning, that you'll feel guilty as you go throughout the rest of the day? Or is it a relationship that you have with God that you can't help but start your day talking together with him? You see, conversation develops relationship. And prayer is a conversation, as we talked about in our last time together, where God wants to speak to us as we speak to him. Prayer is not a religious activity. It is a relationship that you are entering into with our Heavenly Father. Through prayer, we adjust to God and not God to us. You see, God doesn't need your prayers. He already knows what's going on in your life, right? We, we, we know this. He doesn't need your prayers. You're the one, I'm the one that needs prayer. Because as I go and I spend time with God in my prayer closet, it is there that God reveals himself to me in his word and his will for my life. It is a relationship that God wants to have with you. Now, as we spent our time in our last study together two weeks ago, We looked at Luke chapter 11 and verse 1, which was our scripture reading this morning, where the disciples come to Jesus and it says, and it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. And I mentioned to you that at this point, the disciples were already ordained ministers. They had been walking and talking with Jesus. They had done much good at this point. But as they sat there in the stillness of the morning, as the dew rested upon the grass and the trees around them, as they sat there and listened to Jesus talk to his heavenly Father, they all of a sudden realized they did not, even though they were ordained ministers, they did not know how to pray. And so they asked him, Teach us, Lord, how we ought to pray. And and we went through this concept in our study together last time where we looked at elements in the Bible that help us learn how to pray more effectively. We looked at four, uh, four keys or four suggestions from the Word of God that help us to have a better prayer life. And we're going to add two more to that in our study together this morning. But just in a quick review, in our last study together, we talked about how the Bible tells us that we should have a secret place where we meet God 
every morning. We should have a place. This is the spot that I'm going to meet with my heavenly Father. And as I have one place, that spills over into me having many places. Jesus had specific places where he met with his heavenly Father morning by morning. We also looked at how we should have a time to pray. The psalmist said, morning and evening and at noon will I pray and cry aloud and he will hear my voice. So not only do we have a place, but we have a specific time that we meet with God. And as we do that, it spills over into me praying without ceasing as I go throughout my day. Number three, we looked at how we should learn to pray out loud where only God can hear. And this is something that makes us uncomfortable because we don't like other people to hear our thoughts. And some people have, uh, have, have suggested this idea that if we pray our prayers out loud, then the devil will hear those prayers and he'll go and make sure that they don't happen. But we realize that our God is more powerful than Satan and that when we pray out loud, it actually causes him to tremble. Jesus prayed out loud, and we want to follow that example as well. And then we also looked at how we need to learn how to what? Listen, and oftentimes our our prayer experience is a constant stream of information that we're shooting to God, and then, boom, we're off throughout our day, and we haven't stopped to be still and listen to God talk to us. And we looked at the life of Samuel, how he, he prayed five simple words, and God responded to that prayer with over 103 words in response. And we concluded that that's the type of prayer life that we want to have, where we're saying less and God is saying more. Now, before I add to this list this morning, I want to bring something into focus here. And by the way, when I implemented this into my personal life uh, several years ago, it radically transformed my devotional life. And if you're looking for a a fresh, uh, you know, infusion of life into your devotional life, if if devotions have become kind of stale for you and, and aren't really going anywhere, if you're not doing this already, I want to suggest that you take this and apply it into your devotions tomorrow morning. It just radically transformed my time together with the Lord morning by morning. And I want you to enter into that experience as well if you haven't already. But I want to just remind us of something here because we're looking at suggestions and tools from the Word of God that help us to have a more fervent and more prosperous prayer life. But before we can even, you know, enter into the beauty of prayer, we have to first realize that there is something that separates us from having this communication with God. And we talked about this once before, but I want to reemphasize it again. Psalms chapter 66 and verse 18, the Bible says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not what? We know this concept. Intellectually, we know this. But for some reason, it hasn't always spilled over into our daily lives. And so we can't expect God to hear our prayers. We can't expect to have a radical prayer life if we have known sin in our lives. You just can't expect that to happen. And don't blame it on the fact that prayer doesn't work. If you, have, if you have known sin in your life, we have to get rid of that sin through confession to God, and then we can enter into that beautiful prayer experience. And so that's why it's always good for us to begin our prayer time where we have a moment of confession, making sure that our heart is right with the Lord. And if you take time to pause long enough, to listen to the Lord, the Holy Spirit will convict you on what you need to make right in your life. He'll do that. 
But then it's going to be up to you to actually go and make that thing run. Okay, so I just want to just re-emphasize this concept. We looked at it once before, but I want to just kind of make this clear in our minds because we want to have a more fervent prayer life, and sin is something that blocks that from happening. It's just not going to take place if we have sin that is unconfessed in our lives. So let's go on and see what else we find out in our study together. This morning, I'm going to add to this list. We've looked at four things. The next part or the next thing on the list or number five is that we present God's what? We present his what? His promises. We present the promises of God. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7, the Bible says, Ask and it shall be what? Ask and it shall be given unto you. It's not a difficult concept. The Bible makes this very clear for us and very simple for us to understand that if we ask, the Bible tells us that God will give. Ask and it shall be given unto you. Unto you. Now, we'll qualify this here in just a few moments, but let's not get too complicated at this point. I remember a story that I heard from um, uh, uh, Uncle Arthur, Uncle Arthur's bedtime story. You've, you've probably all read those stories, maybe to your kids and grandkids. We're in the process of reading them to our kids right now. Uh, but Uncle Arthur told a story one time about a little boy who was kneeling next to his bed, and he was praying. And, you know, it's, it's fun to listen to kids pray. You ever listen to kids pray? Yeah, nothing's too big for God in the, in the kid's mind, right? And that just, they'll just pray for all kinds of things. And, and this little boy, one night, he was next to his bed, and he was praying fervently that God would give him a pet baby elephant. Now, you can imagine what mom was saying, right? She was in the next room praying, saying, Lord, do not give him a pet baby elephant. Lord, please, I want a pet baby elephant. He was pouring his heart out to the Lord that God would give him a baby elephant as a pet. Now, obviously, he probably learned something about elephants throughout the day, or maybe mom read something to him from a book about a pet elephant, and he got this wild idea in his mind that it would be great for him to have a pet elephant. Now, if God had answered that prayer, do you think he would have been thankful that God answered that prayer about two weeks later? Lord, what have you done to me? This thing makes huge messes. Right? And so in the moment, he thought, this is going to be the greatest thing, and, and I hope God gives it to me. But if God had answered that prayer, that little boy would have been in a muddle. And so mother had to come along, and father had to come along, and instruct this little boy about the principles of prayer. But you know, as I thought about it, sometimes we're like that little boy, and we pray for pet baby elephants. And if God were to answer those prayer requests, two weeks later, we would regret that we asked for that prayer. You see, God is not an indulgent parent that just gives you whatever you want. And I've mentioned this before. God is not a genie in a bottle that you can just rub a certain way and he comes out and says, what are your three requests? I will give them to you. That's not the way God operates. God is interested in your salvation. Right? So when the Bible says, ask and it shall be given to you, of course we understand that there's a qualifying statement that needs to be brought in here that Jesus himself said, or rather uh, the Apostle John said, 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, and this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his 
will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desire of him. So, of course, the qualification is that we are asking according to his will. So the question is, what is the best way for me to find out what God's will is? It's not a difficult question to answer. The, the best way to find out what God's will is to spend time studying his word. Amen? You see, the word of God is God's will for man. That's what the word of God is. So you don't have to, like, theorize about what God's will is for you. You don't have to spend long, prolonged times trying to figure this out. Just read the word of God, and God will show you through the Holy Spirit what his will is for you. This is what the word of God is. It is God's will for man. Now, I want you to listen to this statement. This is a very interesting statement. From the book Education, page 257, it says this. He makes plain that our asking must be according to God's will. We must ask for the things that he has. So again, I ask you, reflect upon your prayer life this past week. What were you asking for? Were you asking for things that you just flashed through your mind? Or were you asking for things that he has promised? You see, people get frustrated with prayer because many times their prayer life is so enveloped with their own thoughts and their own ideas and their own requests, and they're not praying the promises of God. She says, we must present the promises of God. And she goes on and she says, and, who's, and whatsoever we receive must be used in doing what? So we're not receiving for selfish gain. We are receiving so that we can do what? God's will. The conditions met, the promise is what? Unequivocal. Isn't that beautiful? That is, you didn't think that was beautiful, did you? That was, that's so beautiful. I mean, it's like, if the conditions are met, I can take this to the bank, it's going to happen. But she says we must present the promises of God. And so I ask you to reflect upon your prayer life. What has it looked like? Is it presenting your own requests, own desires, or are you presenting the promises of God? Listen, prayer life, your prayer life, without the Bible, if you pray without God's word being infused into your prayer life, it's like having a checking account without checks and a debit card. Right, you're not gonna get anything out of that bank. You're not gonna, that bank account is not gonna serve you any purpose. You need the checks and the debit card to be able to make withdrawals or debits. And so it is when it comes to our prayer life, it's the word of God are like spiritual checks. You know, the Bible says, if you ask anything according to my will, that he will hear us. It's like a blank check. God is saying, listen, here's a blank check. Write on it what you want. Now, don't write what you want. Write what he has promised that he will do. 
And so if we want to make withdrawals out of the blessings of heaven, we need to do so using the word of God, not our own ideas and our own thoughts and our own wishes and our own desires, because when we do that, we are doing it for selfish reasons and not for the cause of God. As she says, when God answers those prayers, we must use them, whatever we receive, to do his will and not our own. I recently stumbled across a statement about one of the great men of faith, George Mueller. And maybe you don't know much about him, but George Mueller was an incredible man of faith, cared for over 10,000 orphans in his 90 years of life in the UK. And writing about George Mueller, R.A. Torrey mentions this about Miller's prayer life. Mueller, sorry, Mueller's prayer life. He says, George Mueller never prayed for a thing just because he wanted it or even just because he felt it was greatly needed for God's work. When it was laid upon George Mueller's heart to pray for anything, he would search the scriptures to find if there was some promise that covered the case. What would he do? He would search the scriptures for what? Promises that would cover the case. Sometimes he would search the scriptures for days before he presented his petition to God. And then when he found the promise with his Bible open before him and his finger upon the promise, he would plead that, the pro- he would plead that promise. And so he would receive what he asked. He always prayed with the Bible open before him. This is a man who acquired over 7 million pounds throughout the course of his life for the cause of God. Not for himself. Not for anything to, you know, advance himself. This was money that he gained for ministry. 7 million pounds. Now, back in that day, I mean, it was, that was a fortune. Prayer. Presenting the promises of God. Powerful stuff for willing to do it. A couple of mornings ago, I was in my devotional time, and I was praying that the Lord would just lead in my life. One thing that I am terrified of is that I would make decisions without the help of God, where I just kind of say, I'm going to do it because I think it's the right thing to do, and I'm not in the center of God, so I'm just terrified of doing something like that. Because usually when that happens, we just make a shipwreck of our lives. And so I'm, usually I'm praying in the morning. But this particular morning, I was very fervent in my prayer. Lord, I'm asking that you would just have your will in my life. I want to be completely surrendered to you. I don't know what you want, uh, where you want me to go, what you want me to do today, what you want me to say. I just want to be in the center of your will. Please lead me in my life. And while I was praying, I picked up my Bible, and I opened it up. I was in the middle of going through the book of Acts in my devotional time, and as I picked my Bible up and was turning to the book of Acts to pick up where I had left off, I had this distinct impression that I needed to go back to the book of Psalms and pick up where I had left off. Now, if you want a book that's rich, of prom- rich in promises, just read the book of Psalms. I mean, there's, there's promises all over the Bible, but Psalms just seems to be a condensed form of that. 
So I, I just followed the impression, and I went back, and I left off in my Bible study, in my reading of the book of Psalms, I left off in Psalms chapter 25. Go there with me in your Bibles, if you would. Psalms chapter 25, verses 4 and 5. Psalms 25, verses 4 and 5. I'm going to read this from the English Standard Version of the Bible, Psalms 25, 4 and 5. The Bible says this, Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Let me, lead me, sorry, lead me, your, uh, lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I will wait all the day long. I was excited as I read those two passages. I said, David's asking for the same thing. He wants God to lead him. He wants God to guide him. He wants God to give him the truth and help him to make right decisions. And I eagerly went on in my reading, and I read verses 8, 9, and 12, where I found three promises. The Bible says, good and upright is the Lord, verse 8. Therefore, he instructs the sinners in his what? In his way, verse 9. He leads the humble in what is right. He teaches the humble his what? His way, verse 12, who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the what? In the way that he should choose. I was thrilled. God had specifically answered my prayer that morning. And he said, Jason, if you will humble yourself to be uh, governed by what I want, I will lead you. I will guide you. I will give you confidence to make right choices. And it was a direct answer to my prayer. This is the interplay that God wants to have in our devotional time where we talk to him and then he talks back to us through his word as we present the promises to him. I want to tell you something this morning. As I have, after I read that, I have been presenting those promises to God morning by morning because I know that he directly gave those to me in answer to my prayer. And I said, Lord, you will lead me. David prayed the same prayer I prayed. I'm asking that you will guide in my life. Because I'm fearful that if I take control, I will make some terrible mistakes. I want to also mention something here in passing before we go on to the next point, and that is this. If you haven't already, I want to suggest that you take the time to memorize some of the promises of God's word. You know, the Bible tells us, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Did you catch that? The Bible says that when we claim the promises of God, that we become like him. Did you catch that? That blew my mind the first time I said, wait a second, just claiming the promises of God helps me to become more like, that's what the Bible says. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might become partakers of the divine nature. I want to encourage you, if you aren't doing this already, in your devotional time, in your reading of the Bible, whatever it may be, be constantly looking for the promises of God in the Bible. There are thousands of them. Be constantly looking for them. And when you find a promise, don't just pass it by, but underline that thing in your Bible if you're inclined to writing in your Bible so that it's easy for you to find, so that when you're in your prayer time and you're praying to God, you can open your Bible and those promises just jump out of the page right at you. Your eye is automatically drawn to the promises of God and you will be able to pray God's promises. 
Now, if you want some help in memorizing, and if you are inclined in this direction, there is a great piece of software called Scripture Typer that you can put on your phone, you can put it on your tablet, you can have it on your computer, where you can go and you can put all kinds of great Bible passages that you want to memorize, and the program will help you memorize them. I've used this uh, piece of software for many years, and it has really been a blessing to me, and maybe it might be a blessing to you as well. But if you're not inclined in this direction, uh, maybe you might find it uh, helpful to have something like this. It's called Scripture Singer, where they have passages of Scripture that are put to music. Maybe you memorize Scripture better that way. I know my kids, they like to sing Scripture songs, and it helps them memorize the Word of God. We have to start inculcating the Word of God into our minds because soon the Word of God is going to be taken out of our hands and off of our phones, and we're not going to have church in the religious community. What are we going to be left with if we don't put it right here inside of our minds? Now, if you want some promises to start off with, I would suggest a few here this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, Jeremiah 33.3. We read that one just a little while ago. Psalms chapter 140, 134, verse 8, and John 15, verses 5 and 7. Four great promises that you can get started with this afternoon when you go home. Instead of taking a nap, you can start memorizing the word of God. Somebody say amen. All right? Now, some of these you already know, and you'll probably just you know, be able to brush up on some of the you know, various words just to make sure it's clear in your mind. But we've got to start taking these promises and putting them in our hearts and in our minds so that we can carry them with us throughout our day, out of our devotional time and into our daily life, presenting God's word to him in prayer. So present his promises. That is step number five. Step number six, are you ready? Yes. That's the right answer. Very good. Step number six. This is the uh, last thing we're going to look at in our time together this morning, and that is to believe the promises of God. To what? Now, I, you know, you might say this kind of goes without saying. Man, if you're going to present the promises of God, surely you're going to believe in them. Uh, not all the time. I'll give you an example of that here in just a few moments. It's one thing to present the promises of God. It's another thing to believe that God can actually do them. Did you catch that? One thing to present, it's another thing to actually believe that God can do it. So once we present the promises of God, then we need to believe that God is able to do what he has promised. Mark chapter 11 and verse 24, scripture tells us this, therefore I say unto you what things soever you desire when you pray, what does it say? Believe that you receive them and you shall have them. So the Bible says, whatsoever thing you desire when you pray, believe. What am I believing in? Am I believing in what I'm requesting or am I believing in the promises of God's word? So the Bible says when we believe in what God has promised, God will give us what he has promised and what we are claiming that he said he would do. But unfortunately, many times, in our prayer life, instead of presenting the promises and believing in the promises, we're presenting our own desires and our own wants. And so I ask you again, reflect upon your prayer life this past week. What did it look like? Are we, are we heavy on the promises and believing in those promises? Or are we heavy on our personal requests and what we would like to see God do in our own lives? We've got to weigh these things out and grow in our walk and in our conversation with the Lord. Listen to this. This is from Christ Object Lessons, page 147. It says this, God stands back of every promise he has made. Amen? 
That's a good little one-liner to just, you know, sear into your mind. Every time you find a promise, you can say, God stands back of every promise he has made. With your Bibles in your what? On your desk? On your bookshelf? With your Bibles in your hands, say, I have done as thou hast said. In other words, I have, I have fulfilled the requirements for this promise. I have done what thou hast said. I present thy promise. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be open unto you. With your Bibles in your hands, God stands back of every promise he has made. Testimonies for the Church, Volume 5, page 322, says this. The mother of Augustine prayed for her son's conversion since, uh, sorry, she saw no evidence that the Spirit of God was impressing his heart, but she was not discouraged. She laid her finger upon the texts, presenting before God his own words, and pleaded as only a mother can. Her deep humiliation, her earnest importunities, her unwavering faith, prevailed, and the Lord gave her the desire of her heart. Today, he is just as ready to listen to the petitions of his people. Amen? You know, when I get to heaven, I think it would just be a fun exercise to say, everybody who's here in heaven because of their mother's prayers, go to this side. There's something powerful about a mother's prayer, amen? And Augustine's mother, she did not see any evidence of her child making right choices. And I know that there are some of us here this morning whose hearts are yearning to see our children make right choices. And we might not see them making the choices that will see them into the kingdom of heaven, but don't lose hope. Keep your finger on the promises of God that if you train up a child in the way he should go, he will not depart from him. Present those promises of God day after day after day, continually holding. Don't let your faith waver. The Bible says, she says that her faith was unwavering. She did not lose hope and faith and belief that God could fulfill his promise. Listen to me carefully. Some of us have children who are so far from God that it's going to take God and God alone to bring them back. And we need to get out of the way and just simply get into our prayer closet and pray that God would do that work. God is more excited about doing that work than we are about having him do that work. And I know, as only a parent knows, how the heart hurts when our children do not make wise choices. God wants to see them in heaven. So what happens when I don't exercise faith in the promises of God? Well, I think it's safe to say that nothing good will come out of it. But this is what the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 2. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, talking about the children of Israel, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Did they have the gospel back in the time of the Old Testament? Apparently they did. 
Was that gospel preached to them? Apparently it was. But did it do them any good? Let me ask you a question. Is the gospel powerful? Is the gospel transformative? Why did it not do any good for them? Because it was not what? Because it was not mixed with what? It wasn't mixed with faith. It was merely intellectual. They had it here. They understood it here. They could say the right things, but it was not mixed with faith. Therefore, it did not do anything for them. And so that's why the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 19, so we see that they, the children of Israel, could not enter into the promised land because of what? Because of unbelief. And brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you something this morning. Unbelief is going to keep us out of the heavenly promised land. Unbelief in the promises of God is poison to your prayer life. You can have a place to pray. You can have a time to pray. You can pray out loud. You can learn to listen. And you can even present the promises of God. But if you do not believe in those promises, you have just nullified everything in your prayer life. Let me share with you an example from Scripture that I think is very relevant at this point. Genesis chapter 15, verses 5 and 6. The Bible says this, And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and it was counted to him for righteousness. What did God promise Abraham? He promised him that his descendants would be like what? Stars of heaven. You know, last night I went outside as I was letting Jack, my dog, do his final business before he went to bed. And as I went outside, I looked up, and it was a perfectly clear night. I could see Orion up there, and you know, it was just beautiful. And I forgot about it being cold because it was so beautiful out there. That's one thing that we dog owners have a privilege of enjoying. And I wonder what it was like. You know, I kind of picture it in my, 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 my imagination for Abraham. You know, there he is. He's standing outside in the field, and there's no light pollution. And he looks up into the sky. And I can guarantee you that God gave him a clear night that night. He wanted to make that clear for Abraham. And as Abraham looks up into the sky, God says, you see how many stars are up there? You can't even number them. And that's how your descendants are going to be. And the Bible tells us that Abraham believed. And it was counted to him for righteousness. Praise the Lord. He was a father of faith, right? What about Sarah? Did she believe? You know, at this point, Abraham, you already know this, Abraham and Sarah were very old. Physically, they were beyond the age of childbearing. This was not something that they could do anymore. 
humanly speaking. And so what God did is he presented to them something that, don't miss this, he presented to them something that he was going to do in their life that they could not do themselves. It was a God-sized promise. The Bible tells us Abraham said, yes, I believe that God is gonna be able to do this. But when Sarah heard it, she said, hmm, I think I need to help God out on this one. You know the story, right? She went and got Hagar, Hagar and Abraham got together, and then there was Ishmael, and then there was a whole thousands of years of a headache that's still going on today because of Sarah's unbelief in the promises of God. Stakes are high. I wonder what the world would look like today if Sarah had believed the promise of God. There's no way I can do this, God. But there is no way that you cannot fulfill what you have promised. Because God does not lie. If you said it's going to happen, listen, I know, I know my body is dead. I know that I cannot do this humanly, but I believe that you can. What would the world look like today if, if Sarah had believed in the promise of God? It would be quite a different place, wouldn't it? It would be quite a different place. Sarah's lack of faith in the promises of God has caused all sorts of problems that are still being dealt with today. And listen to me carefully, friends. Our lack of belief in the promises of God cause all sorts of problems in our life that we need not have to go through if we just believe what God has promised. In reality, what we find is that Sarah's actions revealed what she really thought about God. How big was God to Sarah if she had to help him out? Was he all-powerful? Evidently, in, his, in her mind, he wasn't because she felt she had to help him out. What do our actions reveal about our belief of God? Does it reveal incredible faith or minute, weak faith? Maybe you, like me, at times feel like it's hard to believe in God's promises. When you read them and you think, how in the world is this going to happen? You know, we look around us and we see a church that can be filled, right? And we do all of these kinds of things to try to fill the church, and it seems like we're not even keeping up with the death rate in our church. Brothers and sisters, it's a God-sized problem. What are we doing? Are we being an Abraham or are we being a Sarah? Are we trying to help God or are we standing in the way of God? Now listen, God clearly wants us to do something just like he clearly wanted Abraham to do something to produce that son. There is our part, but beyond that, we have no busy business meddling in the business of God. This church will be filled by God and God alone. When Abraham and Sarah had that son, when they held Isaac in their arms for the first time, they knew this was not, had nothing to do with my doing because I could not do this. And when we get to that point in our spiritual journey where we realize there is nothing that I can do 
to contribute to the overall growth of the church and the growth of my family and all that kind of stuff. Once we get to that point, God will then be able to do great things among us. And when we stand back and we survey a church sanctuary that is completely full, we say, this was nothing of my doing. This was everything that God did. Maybe we like to need to follow the example of the demon-possessed boy's father. Mark chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, some things are possible. All things are possible to them that believe. The father said, and straightway the father of the child cried out, and he said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. You know, I don't care how much faith you have. This is a prayer that we all need to be praying. (laughs) I believe. I believe that you can do this, but help my unbelief because there's always moments in our spiritual journey where we have a lapse of belief. Our faith in God is not what it ought to be. Lord, help me. I believe that you are able to, but you need to help my unbelief. I believe that you can change my heart, but help my unbelief. I believe that you can bring my strained child back to the fold. I believe, but help thou my unbelief. I believe that you can grow my church into a a prosperous church that gives glory to you. I believe, but help thou my unbelief. The best is yet to come. God has great things that he wants to do that we know nothing of. Present the promises of God and believe the promises that he has made. Amen? I want to tell you a story. I just finished a book, a biography about William Carey, the father of modern missions. He was a missionary to India back in the late 17 and early 1800s. He was a missionary when it was not popular to be a missionary. He was a missionary when the climate of the church in the United Kingdom was that the last missionaries were the apostles. They didn't believe in missionaries. So if God wants to convert those heathen people, he can do it himself. But as Carey read his Bible, he realized that God was calling him to the far-flung parts of the world to spread the gospel among the heathen. And he lived by the motto, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. A lot of people know about William Carey, but what they don't know is that he had a little sister. His little sister he affectionately referred to as Polly. As they grew up together, Polly would follow William Carey around everywhere he went. He was, as a child, he was interested in botany, and he was always collecting samples from the woods on his great travels And <clears throat> as a little boy. And his little sister would tag along behind him. She was his research assistant. They did everything together as children. At some point, I can't find out when this happened, but at some point, Polly had a tragic accident that made her into basically a quadriplegic. She was completely bedridden. When Carrie moved, Polly was completely devastated that her, that, that, that her brother wasn't going to be around anymore. But William Carey kept in regular contact with his sister while he was in India. 
he would write letters back home about all of the things that were going on, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And she would sit there and she would read those letters and she would, she would do the two things that she could only do. She could eat and she could sleep and there were two other things that she could do. She could write and she could pray. And so she would write these beautiful, encouraging letters to her brother in India. Day after day, she would pray and ask God to be with her brother in India for 52 years. Polly prayed for her brother's work that was taking place in India. She prayed for him daily. She prayed for the missionaries. She prayed for the translation of God's word into the in various Indian languages. She prayed for the new converts. She prayed for uh, growth in, with, with, in favor with God and man. She prayed that they would learn how to rejoice in everything, both the good and the bad. She prayed that they would learn to live in forgiveness of one another and to be rooted and grounded in love. Day after day after day, Polly prayed for her brother that he would be successful. And you only have to read one biography about William Carey and you will see that the prayers of Polly were answered in miraculous ways. Bedridden young lady couldn't even leave her house, let alone go all the way to India. And she was probably one of the greatest missionaries to India. Vicariously through her brother. And I think when we get to heaven, we're going to see the mighty results of this lady's prayers on behalf of her brother. God worked miracles to bring others to him. Doubtless, she claimed the promises of God. Doubtless, she presented those promises to him day after day. And God worked mightily. And he will do the same thing here. I've kind of gotten to the point in my spiritual life where I'm tired of reading about men and women of great faith. I'm tired of reading about William Carey's. I'm tired of reading about Gladys Aylward's. I'm, I'm tired of reading about uh, George Mueller's and these men and, men and women that just did great things for God. I'm tired of reading about it, and I want to experience it myself. Not because I want to be able to bring any glory to myself, but because I want to do great things for God. And the, the common thread that I see as I look at these men and women of great faith, the common thread that I see is that they were men and women of prayer. I think it's time for us to change our tactics. I think it's time for us to change methods and just doing things for the sake of doing them. And it's time for us to start wearing out our prayer carpets. It's time for us to set aside significant periods of time to talk with our Heavenly Father, not as a religious duty, but as a relationship. And to realize that the problem that is before us is not something that we can take care of ourselves. It is a God-sized problem. And if it's a God-sized problem, it's going to require God to solve the problem. I don't have the answers. I want to see the church grow just as much as you want to see the church grow. 
I want to see this church be successful just as much as you want to see the church be successful. And as I've done this in ministry, over and over again, a new program comes out, a new idea comes out, a new this, a new that, a new shiny thing here and there, and we try to do it, and we have the same results. Are you all with me? What are we lacking? We're willing to support the programs. Praise God. We're willing to throw the money at advertisement. Praise God. Let's keep doing that. But there's something that's lacking. It's evident that what is lacking is prayer. It's evident. We, sometimes we just kind of tune out when it comes to prayer. Oh, I know that. I know everything that needs to be known about prayer. No, we don't. You don't learn about prayer by reading the Bible. You learn about prayer by experiencing it every morning. That's how you learn about prayer. I think it's time for us to change things, don't you? Tired of the status quo. I'm ready to experience things that will give glory and honor to God. I want an Abraham and Sarah experience where when I look at what's being done, I can say, that's the Lord. I couldn't have done that. Let's pray for that. Father in heaven, I don't even have to ask. I know that it's desire of just about everybody here. We all resonate with this. We want to see something that is God's size that's going to give glory to you. Not just for the sake of experiencing it or to have something to write about or something to talk about, but because it's going to build your kingdom up. Lord, I know there are people in this area right around our church who are looking for answers to their questions. And I know that you are trying to lead us to those people. Sometimes we get distracted, Lord. You want to give us those divine appointments where we bump into those men and women. that We're so focused in, on the tasks of life and the busyness of life that we don't pause long enough to enter into that divine appointment. Father, we pray that you would do great things in our lives, that you would change us from just the status, normal Christian that has the theory to a Christian that has the experience, that we would be deep in our conversations with you each morning, that we would be found on our knees with our Bibles in our hands, helplessly throwing ourselves upon the promises of God. Lord, we have a God-sized problem here. And it's not going to be fixed by more programs. It's not going to be fixed by more board meetings. It's not going to be fixed by more elders meetings. It's going to be fixed as men and women beseech the throne of God for help. So, Father, we ask that you would come in and among us. That you would give us wisdom as we seek to stay in the center of your will, that you would guide our church, Lord. I know you want to do great things, and you are doing great things. You are refining us. Continue that work, Lord, I pray.
Thank you for hearing our prayer. Thank you for this time that we could spend studying together. Bless us now as we go our different ways. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org. Dot audioverse.org.